Guys, I, I, I've said this before, uh, but I'm going to confess again. I, I, I do not like the sight of blood, all right? More specifically, I do not like the sight of my own blood. Um, I'm pretty good when my kids are bleeding. I can handle that crisis emergency. But the sight of my own blood is, has never been good. And, and my grandmother, uh, when she was alive, would have told you this. She had high hopes for me, uh, higher hopes than you could imagine. She thought I was going to be the first doctor in the family. And uh, she's, she's like, I knew it, because I, I love science, I love math, I always had good grades in school. She's like, you're, you're our hope, you're going to be the first doctor out of our family. And then I was riding my bike one day, and I fell down, and I bloodied my knee, and I passed out. And she said, well, I guess that's, that's done. And uh, so I'm, I'm not good with a sight of my own blood. And I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, I had to go get some blood work done not long ago. They're checking my cholesterol, trying to get my numbers down. So you can imagine for somebody that doesn't like the sight of their own blood, that blood work is interesting, right? Uh, and it's not that it hurts, you know, and I've done it in front of my kids before. And you stick your arm out, and I just, I just can't look at it. I just can't see it. Uh, I've had some procedures done in the past, and, and I, once I had a cyst removed from my neck, and, and I, they're, they're just patting my neck. I'm awake the whole time, and I'm thinking, oh, man, why is water running down my neck? And for some reason, they had put a mirror in front of me and one behind me. I looked up in that mirror, and that was not water. That was blood. And I was like, ooh. Um, so I, it, just blood work and I, it's, it's not a good thing, but... Um, when I did this blood work, you know, one of my cholesterol was down, that was good, but it revealed that I had a deficiency in my life, and that deficiency was vitamin D, and not only was I low, like I was, I was dangerously low in vitamin D, and you guys may know this, maybe you don't, vitamin D helps uh, present bone, bone, fa- bone fractures, which uh, you got, you know, I broke, I broke the finger, and uh, had, had, had some issues with both ring fingers playing basketball, those kind of things, uh, it I wrote down, it reduces the risk of cancer, it reduces the risk of diabetes, it helps protect against heart disease, and it can even improve your mood. That explains a lot, right? Just, that, that's what my kids would say, Dad, you were, you were not super nice. Uh, so, I guess the point I'm trying to make to you this morning is while the blood work wasn't fun, it was necessary. And I think the same could be said of these habits of grace we've been studying. Some people call them the spiritual disciplines. They're not always fun. Right? But sometimes it's necessary, and sometimes the reason why it's necessary is because as we study these things that we're all supposed to be doing as Christians, sometimes the Word of God points out a deficiency in our life. And this morning, uh, my hope is that uh, if you don't mind a little spiritual poking and prodding uh, this morning, I hope that uh, you'll be ready to receive from the Lord what He has for us as we continue our study, Habits of Grace. So join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for allowing us to worship you, God. I, I, I think sometimes we take it for granted that we get to worship you, that we get to come before the creator of heaven and earth, that we get to meet with him uh, as, as the Israelites would, would, would walk through the desert and your presence would just dwell amongst them and, and guide them and lead them and settle down amongst them at, at night. So your presence comes and, and meets with us when, when two or more are gathered to worship your name. And, and we, we, we recognize that you're here and that you're present. Holy Spirit, we also recognize that you are the teacher of this church. And so we, we pause every Sunday to ask and, and that you would come and you would fill this pulpit, that you would take your proper place in our lives and in our church, and that you would teach us the word of God. Holy Spirit, would you please exalt Jesus? We know that the Word of God says when Jesus is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. And we confessed earlier, Lord, we need You. 
And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you would paint such a clear picture of Jesus, King Jesus, that as you're lifted up, that you would draw us closer to your heart and that you would change us. If there was any way in us that is wayward, that is not of you, would you take it and transform it into your image? In Jesus' name, we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. Guys, if you have your Bibles, we're going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to ask you to open to the book of Acts, and we're just going to walk through kind of the book of Acts. We're going to start in verse 1, we're going to end up, uh, or in chapter 1, we're going to end up somewhere in chapter 12, and then we'll hop around to a couple other places. Um, But what I'm going to do with you this morning is, is the same thing I did with our staff on Tuesday, and my prayer is that in doing this, we're going to see uh, a common theme in the early church, something that the, the early church did on a regular basis that I think sometimes we miss out on. And so I'm in Acts chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 14, the Word of God says this. It says, they were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were all continually united in prayer prayer. Now I'm in uh, chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, right? Now I'm in Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to read from 23 all the way to 32, and what's happened is Peter and John were arrested by the temple guard, and they've now been released, and picking up verse 23, it kind of tells us what happens after the release. It says, after they were released, they went to their own people, and they reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, now this isn't a song, this is prayer. They raised their voices to God, and they said... Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats, and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs of wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God boldly. Chapter 6, choosing of the deacons. Verse 6, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. In Acts chapter 12 now. Acts chapter 12. Remember, Peter has been imprisoned. What was the church doing while Peter was in prison? Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. Uh, He was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. The church was praying fervently. Remember, James had been executed Peter was arrested, he was going to be next. And so what did the church do? They prayed fervently for Peter. And then we find this in Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 2 and 3, as they are going to set apart Paul and Barnabas. It says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. 
Then after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. The early church was a praying church. The early church was a praying church. Prayer may have started in the closet or or in secret. That's what we talked about last week was was the importance of, of private prayer. Prayer may have started in private, but it certainly did not stay there in the early church. It encompassed all of their lives and especially their gatherings and their times together. I shared with our staff uh, on Tuesday a story about Charles Spurgeon, the great English Baptist preacher, uh, who started preaching at a very early age. Uh, Before he knew it, he was preaching to audiences of of 10,000 plus on a weekly basis. And Spurgeon loved when people would come and visit him. And and he would take them on a tour and he'd say, Hey, you want to see the engine of the church? Do you want to see the powerhouse of the church? And then he would take people uh, through the sanctuary and down to the basement. And there when they arrived at the basement, he would open the door and there was a little dim light. And, and as you could see, on the floor of the basement, it was covered with men and women on their knees interceding for the service. And he says, that's where we get our power from. That's where we get our power from. Great men would go to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. Some of the best evangelists and preachers you ever saw would just go to hear him preach one time. And one of them came back and he, somebody said, Hey, did you hear him preach? And he said, Oh, I, I heard him preach, but more than that, I heard him pray. <laughs> Boy, could that man pray. Prayer's important. And it's important for the church. Friends, I believe together over the last eight years... Uh, God has done a lot at First Baptist to change the perception of this church in our community. Uh, I think we're, we're known uh, by, by others outside, as I speak with others, that we've become known as a teaching church, a place that you can come and just, just learn the Bible. Uh, I believe we've become a, a, a very loving church. We're, we're known for loving our community, for loving one another. We have guests come in, they're like, I, oh my gosh, your people are so friendly. Everybody's hugging people. Now, that, now the introverts are a little freaked out by that, but that's okay, that's all right, they'll get get with it eventually. All right? I've heard people say uh, that we're a caring church. We, we really care about our community and we want to see it bettered. But I don't think many would say that we're a praying church. At least not in light of this text. In fact, I, I don't think many people would say many churches are praying churches in light of the text that we've read today. But we need to be. And so that's what we're going to talk about. This morning we're going to talk about what happens when the church prays together. Okay, so I have three things for you very quickly. Here's the first. I want you to understand that people are brought together when the church prays. People are brought together when the church prays. Acts uh, 1.14, right? It says they were continually united in prayer. Now, if you've got the King James Version of the Bible, uh, it's going to say that they were all in one accord, which is my favorite Bible joke, right? Uh, you guys have heard this one, right? Did you know what co- car is in the Bible? It's a Honda, right? Because they were all, all the disciples were in one accord. Okay, you got you got to have a bad Bible joke to tell every once in a while. Uh, King James Version says they were all in one accord, and it's an interesting word in the in the Greek because it's unique. It it, it, it it's a unique word to the Bible. It, it appears twelve times in the Bible, ten times just in the book of Acts, and it's actually a compound word. And it's made up of two words. The first word means uh, to rush along. So, so it means, hey, we're, we're rushing along, and the second word means in unison. And you try to think about what that looks How do you rush along in unison? My wife and I have rushed along on plenty of occasions, been late somewhere. Not, I'm not going to say whose fault it was that we were late. But 
been some places that you run a little behind, right? I don't know how your family rushes along. We've got a big family. I've got four kids. We don't rush along so great, you know what I'm saying? You're usually picking one up, holding one this way, got a bag this way, trying to run down some. I mean, it just doesn't look good when we rush along. But, but this word, rush along in unison, it kind of paints the picture of, of, of almost music, of almost what we did earlier with worship. It, it's a bunch of different notes or different people coming together, arising and falling at the same time, under the command of a master, or the Holy Spirit. Look again with me in chapter 2. Chapter 2, we're going to just turn there again, 42, uh, 242. I want to read 42 through 47. It says this, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together. They were all together. And, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and their property, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple... They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And get this, every day. You could add single to that. Every single day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Devoted to prayer, meeting daily, selling their own possessions, give to one another. And this gathering of people grew exponentially every day. And you want to know why it grew exponentially every day? Ready? Because <laughs> it wasn't natural. Because <laughs> that's not normal. <laughs> people were attracted to them because they stood out, because they were different, right? Because this isn't normal. It's not normal for people that come from different backgrounds. And think of the early church, man. You had the, the super religious that, that had been raised, I mean, just, just as Pharisees, and then you had the people that knew their sin all too well. <laughs> the, the, the tax collectors and the harlots and the people that Jesus called. And you have these, these two bodies of people coming together. And, 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 and supernaturally, they're, they're selling their possessions to give to one another. And, and so said, how does something like that happen? And I'm going to show you. It's not hard. It's actually e easier than you think. Ready? This is how you can take people that are that different and you bring... You know, like we're, we're in our, our nation today is more divided than we've ever been politically. When it, when it comes to race, when it comes to socioeconomic status, well, I don't even know how to bring people, how do you bring people that are so different together, ready? Here it is, this is the key. This is how you bind people together so that they can rush along together, ready? This is it. Just close those hands. It's right there. That's what prayer does. Prayer is supernatural power from God to link people together and to remind them that they're family. Right? You got four kids, three of those are boys, they fight like, oh, get out. Oh my gosh, there's some day they talk ugly to each other, and I'm like, hey, listen, this right here. Family, at some point in life, everyone will leave you, everyone will forsake you, but you never forsake your family, right? In Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God, and what has happened is supernatural. And so supernaturally, when, when the church prays, guys, God brings us together in ways that we couldn't think or imagine. That's the first thing I want you to understand. Second thing I want you to understand as we study just through the book of Acts quickly this morning 
is this. People are shaken and filled with the power of God when the church prays. People are shaken and filled with the power of God when the church prays. Acts 4 31 says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God boldly. Now, you've probably heard the term uh, mover and shaker. Uh, maybe you didn't know where that term came from. You could look it up. Somebody's going to tell you that it came from a poem in 1847, I believe. If, I'm, if I, I did some research, I, I don't have anything better to do. I just had VB. I thought I'd figure out where that came. But, but I'm going to tell you, I, I, think, I think the term mover and shaker was birthed long before that. I actually think that God is, is the first uh, mover and shaker. Psalm 29.8 says this. It says, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. That's what he does. Just the voice of, of God just shakes things up, right? right? Haggai, and I know some of you like to say Haggai, but we're in Texas, folks. It's just Haggai. Just, just make it what it is, right? Uh, for the Lord of armies says this, once more in a little while, get this, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Isaiah uh, 13. Isaiah 13, 13 says, Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its foundations at the wrath of the Lord of armies on the day of his burning anger. And then there's this. I'm I'm in the book of Isaiah. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 5. And it says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple, and seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Get this, verse 4. The foundations of the doorways shook, and the sound of their voices, the temple was filled with smoke. And then we have this here in Acts. Again, uh, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God boldly. I want to ask you two questions this morning in the form of really bad analogies. But just bear with me, okay? Uh, Anybody got a snow globe? Anybody? Okay, we got a couple of them. You see, there you go. Oh, there's always somebody in a crowd that has a snow globe. Somebody. Let Let me ask you this. What beauty is there in a snow globe that sits on the shelf with all of its power to invoke wonder and imagination just settled on the bottom? It's not really any good unless you shake it up, is it? Let me ask you this, uh, for those of you that are already thinking about lunch. It's early for that, folks. It's early. That's the 11 o'clock service. They're like, oh, when are we going to get out of here, Pastor? How appetizing is the taste of an oil-based salad dressing if it's not first shaken by a mighty hand? And here's what I'm trying to say to you, church. I fear that we, the city on the hill, I fear that we, the light of the world, I fear that we, the salt of the earth, have not often enough placed ourselves in the mighty hand of God and allowed Him to shake us up in prayer. Okay? And so therefore, we're not the light that we're supposed to be. And we're not the city and the example that we're supposed to be. And we're not the salt that we're supposed to be. Because we have not allowed God to shake us up. To fill us with power and with all. I fear that all too often, we like the snow globe have just settled. Okay? And I get it. It's comfortable. Right? 
Um, the kind of prayer that the early church did was uncomfortable prayer. It's not your typical Baptist prayer meeting where we talk for half an hour and we pray for three minutes. No hand-holding, little squeezing kind of thing going on. Okay, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So that's the second thing I, I want you to see, man. When, when the church prays, man, God shakes people up. Some of you have somebody in your life, you love them dearly, and you're like, man, somebody needs to knock some sense into them. They don't need sense knock. They need to be shaken. They need to be shaken by the power of God. Third thing I want you to see, okay? This is a big deal. People are set free when the church prays. People are set free when the church prays. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Uh, Acts chapter 12. We're going to read verse 1 through 10. Acts chapter 12, all right? Um, starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord says this in Acts 12, 1. It says, about that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter, too, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in the front door guarded the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, Quick, get up and get the... And the chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals, and he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out, and he followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left. Peter's going to show back up to the other disciples, knock on the door. They're not going to believe him either. And the church is praying and they don't even believe. <sighs> mm. I hope you noticed verse 5. The church was praying fervently. It means that they were assembled together and they were praying without ceasing. And God broke Peter's chains. Hmm. You may say, yeah, Pastor, but what does that have to do with me? All right? Well, apart from the whole church praying fervently thing, let me tell you what it might have to do with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for one more favor. I need you to use that Bible thing one more time. Turn with me to the book of Mark, okay? The book of Mark, chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. So what, Pastor, what does that have to do with me? Yeah, so what? So what? Peter's chains fell off. Yeah, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with prayer? Okay, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Uh, now, now... Uh, to set this up, Jesus has just come down from the mountain with Peter, James, and John. This is right after the transfiguration. Verse 14. When they came to the disciples, the rest of the disciples were, were not there. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the scribes uh, disputing with them. And when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and they ran to greet him. 
He asked him, what, what are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth, and, 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 and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him, Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can? Like, who are you talking? If you can? Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's a statement right there. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, said to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and throwing him into a terrible uh, convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said he's dead, but Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. After he'd gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Verse 29, this, this may apply here. And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Okay, listen to me. There are some things that bind that can only be driven out by prayer. There are some things in life, according to Jesus, that bind us that can only be driven out by by prayer. There are some shackles that, that bind us that can only fall off through prayer. <laughs> so I'm trying to tell you this morning. So some of you here this morning are battling hurt and loss that just seems to linger. No matter what you do, the, the sadness just seems to linger, right? For, for some of you, it, it's a depression that seems so deep that you just feel like even, even with medication and even, even with, 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 with changing habits and trying to read your Bible and listen to you, you just seem like you can't get out of the pit. For some, um, it, it, it's your marriage. And the truth is that Satan has a, a grip on it. For some of you here, it's a secret sin that you thought you had under control. Because that's the great myth, right? Is that we're in control. And you thought, I'm, I can just toy with this thing and I'll be okay. I'll just enjoy it every once in a while. But the thing about sin is you don't control it. It always controls you. That's why the great pastor John Owen said, you better be killing sin lest it be killing you. For some of you here this morning, that's what's going on. There is a sin that you have not talked about with anybody and you just, you know it owns you and you don't even know how to get out. For some here this morning, uh, you're infected with what much of our population is infected with. I call it a spirit of complaint. I was journaling this week and I wrote down, uh, we are complacent in prayer, yet active in complaint. Mm. If we don't come together as a church and begin to pray earnestly, how can we expect to see people's lives transformed? 
if the truth is that there are some things that plague us that will only come out in prayer, then how can we neglect prayer the way that we have? You follow me? We've got to do better. We've got to do better. All right? So I'm going to give you some application and some good news uh, about where we're headed as a church. So uh, the first thing I want to challenge you to do this week is believe in the power of prayer, right? Need to believe in the power of prayer. And, and uh, this is a tough one, man. This is a tough one. We, 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 uh, again, we talk about our differences, some of our differences theologically. Um, some of my Calvinist brothers that are, that are, that are there, I, and I love them, and they, they struggle with prayer. They struggle with me. God's preordained everything. Why do I need to pray? Because part of what God preordained was prayer, brother. That's why. Because God made a channel, right? Some of the greatest theologians, Wayne, Wayne Grudem says, he says, I, I don't know how to, how to say this, but sometimes prayer changes the heart of God. So what? How is, how is it? God's unchanging. How's that happen? See, I, it, just, just when you study the Bible, some, sometimes prayer just grabs the heart of God, and God says, yeah, I'm going to respond to that. I don't, I don't think it's really a change in God's heart. I think that's who God's always been. God's always been this loving, gracious God. He says, listen, I, I'm going to listen to prayers. I'm going to respond, and I'll always respond. It's either yes or later or no, but I'm always going to respond. So some of us have to believe in the power of prayer again, and maybe we have to be like that, that boy's father, right? Verse 24 of Mark 9. I do believe, Lord, but please help my unbelief. And maybe that's where you are with prayer. You need, that's, that's your prayer this week. Lord, I believe in prayer, but I don't believe in prayer enough, God. Help my unbelief in prayer this week, right? Second thing I want to challenge you, uh, in is that we have to practice praying together. We've got to practice praying together. One of the things we've changed here in our staff over the last month is uh, in our staff meetings, one, everybody is in staff meeting, everybody. Uh, Pete is in staff meeting, Tiffany's in staff meeting, uh, everybody's in staff meeting. And one of the things, we, we, don't, we will not leave staff meeting without praying together, without praying for one another, um, forcing people to get uncomfortable and, and have to actually pray for the other person that week and what's going on in their life and in their ministry. And so when, when I say practice praying together, I want you to understand I'm not talking about typical church prayer, okay? Again, typical church prayer for me in a Baptist church. And I, guys, I wasn't raised in church, so you have to understand I came into this and I, I don't understand it fully. But we have a prayer meeting where we talk about what our, our complaints really for 20 minutes and we pray for two, right? And I don't think that's a prayer meeting. I think a prayer meeting is when you show up, you get on your face before God and you just begin to cry out to God. Right? It, it, it's a Holy Spirit in your veins kind of thing pumping through where, where I don't have a set agenda other than being in the presence of God and letting Him have me and giving Him all that I am. And it's, it's this thing that happens and transpires when we come before God. And, and it involves things like confession, right? Confession of sin. When's the last time you got together in church with other people and confessed your sin? Out loud. Whoo! When's the last time that happened? Just, hey, guys, we're going to have a prayer meeting, and you just got on your face. Lord, I, I, man, I, I, just, I, I, I come before you right now, Father, and I, I, just, I, I know that we can't do this right, but right here and right now, I want to tell you that, that I need you to change my attitude today. I've been out in the world, and I've been judging people. I've been judging some of the people at this table, Lord. I'm struggling so much financially. I look at other people, and they got their new truck, and their new this, and their new that, and God, I, I, I'm, I'm coveting things, Lord. That's just not the right spirit. Father, would you just purge me? When is the last time you're in prayer meeting somebody confessed their sin has it ever happened why are y'all so quiet i thought we were praying when's the last time you were in prayer meeting and somebody broke down in tears when's the last time that happened 
That you were praying about your community and you're so broken about what's going on in your community that you, you understood by the power of the Holy Spirit that you are a complainer, you're not a problem solver. That you're one of the problems in the community, that you're just here pointing out all the issues instead of being one that wants to solve. When's the last time you were broken for your neighbor across the street? When's the last time that you wept in prayer? I'm going to tell you, it's not going to happen unless you're praying right. And if you're praying and those things aren't happening, if you're praying and when you're done praying, you haven't felt the presence of God, then you might have missed something. Because when we pray, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. When the church prays fervently, it it gets rid of all the the makeup, dress up, look at me, my life is okay business. And they get on their face before God and they cry out. And, And that's how people come together. You say, how do people come together? When people don't care what anybody else thinks anymore, but they're fully relying on God, they're willing to cry out, Lord, I need you to save our marriage. And they say that publicly, and other people come around them and say, you know what, we have been there. Man, we've been married for 40 years, but I tell you, at year five, we almost lost it. That doesn't happen if God's people don't pray together. We just act like everything's okay. So what I'm telling you, church, is we have to do better. We have to do better. We're going to do better. One of the things we're going to do around here, and, and listen, uh, this is a low bar, but we've got to start somewhere. Once a quarter, we are going to not have small groups. We're not going to do anything else. We are going to gather for a prayer meeting. And I'm not talking 20 folks. And I will tell you, I love you in Jesus, but if only 20 of you show up, you're going to get emails and letters phone calls from your deacons. I mean it. You say, Pastor, why would you do that? Why would you hunt us down and say that we have to be there? Ready? Because we know what God is calling this church to. Because we have a clear vision for who we're supposed to be in this community, but friends, we cannot do it on our own. We cannot. We will fail miserably. We will fall on our face and we will be a disgrace. We're going to have to be a people on our knees. And so uh, here's the deal. August 19th is the day before Elgin ISD starts back at school. And I couldn't think of a better day to begin prayer. And so we're going to have a full-on prayer service from 6 to 7.30. Yeah, that's an hour and a half. So, I, Pastor, I don't think I can pray for an hour and a half. It's okay. We're going to help you out. All right? There's going to be some worship in there. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a whole night that we put together. And again, our goal is we're going to try to do this once a quarter where we force ourselves to come together and to pray together about different things. It'll be guided. There'll be times that you pray in groups. There'll be times that you pray by yourself. There'll be times that, that families pray together. It's going to be a cool experience. But we're, we're going we're gonna to become people of prayer. We're going to do it. Um, in addition to that, my challenge to you is everywhere you meet this week with brothers and sisters, I want you to pray with them. Everywhere you meet. So if it's at the dinner table, I want you to pray with them. I want you to, to get uncomfortable. Um, again, kind of like what we're doing in staff, we're going to get uncomfortable a little bit. And we're going to pray with one another. And, uh, and so what we're going to do this morning, instead of an invitation, what I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to find about four people next to you. And I just want you to spend just a few minutes, and uh, I, I know what time it is. We, I, w- I want you to spend four or five minutes just praying. Don't even talk. Just, just you, you can introduce yourself. Hey, who is it? But, but then I just want you to pray however the Holy Spirit leads you to pray for that other person.